hello friends. This is an Apple Music interview version of the world-famous Emo Dad podcast. What does this mean? No music. Why? Apple doesn't let us play songs. Does it sound a bit weird when we introduce a song and nothing happens? Nah. But, you know, you still get the conversation and all the good times. For the full version, switch on over to Spotify and search Emo Dad. Thanks and enjoy the episode. Hello, friends. We're back with another very special interview on the Emo Dad podcast. My name is James. And my name is Matt. And today we talk to Daniel P. Carter of the Radio One Rock Show and many other bands. This is Foghorn by A. Let's get into it. Um, So, Daniel P. Carter, welcome to the Emo Dad podcast. Again. Again, take two um, for all the wonderful people listening in uh, Emo Mums and Emo Dads land. This is the second attempt, our, f- our first second attempt. Yeah. I mean, I kind of like second point, 2.5 because everything broke the first time and then we did it and then, <laughs> and then everything was broken anyway, my end. So there you go. Yeah, we nearly burnt your office down, didn't we? <laughs> Yeah, it did. there was like a weird burning. Yeah, there was like a weird electrical smell. I haven't seen any more of that, so I'm hoping it was the extension lead thing I was using. That's that's how hot our podcast is, Dan. <laughs> 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 yeah, all right, we'll take that. Nice work, Matt. Nice work. <laughs> um, right, let's get into it then. Okay. So, uh, what is your very first memory of music, Mister Carter? first memory of me i mean what in general or when it actually was like oh no this is something that i really really care about because in general it was like my would be just in the car with my folks mainly my mum she had very particular tastes so she would always play um stuff in the car like when we'd be driving like Dr. Hook and <laughs> Tammy Wynette and things like that. Like a weird, uh, she liked um, country, so there was a lot of that. But um, I'm the youngest of four, so um, I've got two elder brothers and an elder sister, and they, they all, you know, as everybody does during that kind of um, teenage period, got super into music. So I was... I kind of flitted between everybody's music. So like my sister was, and my brother actually was super into stuff like Adam and the Ants and a lot of eighties kind of pop. Um, But then one of my brothers joined the Navy and I remember him coming home on leave with a cassette box. And, and that was when I really kind of delved into music because I found uh, a bunch of albums on tape with amazing artwork that looked like, you know, 
like when you're a kid and you see the first Iron Maiden album, you have no idea who Eddie is, and you <laughs> see that kind of. Uh, it's got a zombie on it. Amazing. This obviously is going to be the best album ever. Um, and at that point, it was. So, yeah, I got into kind of metal through that. Like, first Iron Maiden album, first Motorhead album. Uh, it wasn't first ACDC. It was like Highway to Hell by ACDC. So that was the that was the stuff that, that I suddenly got really into. And then wanted to start buying records on my own and made, and made terrible er- errors and choices initially. <laughs> <laughs> what were your errors? I don't know. Like, when you're... I mean, how old would I have been? I guess... Maybe like 10. I, I remember going into Woolworths um, and WH Smiths and both had like record sections. I remember going to the back of the WH Smiths where I grew up because I grew up in a little sort of village outside of Wokingham, which is outside of Reading. And at the yeah, back we, uh, yeah, we, we're both from Guildford, uh, so yeah, yeah, we yeah, yeah. Uh, know the yeah. area very well. There you go. <laughs> so, yeah, in the back of WH Smiths, there was, um, like a record section and I remember buying with like obviously you had to really save up to buy a record and I bought for some reason I bought ZZ Top's Trey Hombre wow which is like quite a deep record to get into when you're a seven like 10 year old and was just like I this isn't this isn't what I want this weird <laughs> I just thought it was <laughs> I mean, it kind of looks cool. They've all, they all look kind of gnarly. But, I mean, looking back on it now, like I'm a huge fan of, of stuff like Mastodon and Clutch and stuff, and you and those bands have were raised on that. Um, so, like, in hindsight, I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. But at the time, I was like, this isn't what I want. So I remember taking it, taking it back the following weekend, going, I don't like it. Can I swap it for something else? Uh, I don't remember <laughs> what I swapped it for, but it probably wasn't much better. Do you remember when you first heard the word emo? Um, no, not really. Not what I I just remember that uh, a a band I was in at the time. Maybe it was when. No, I was still in Reading at that point. Like I. I was in one band and I formed a band with a couple of my other mates, one of whom I went to school with and one that had played in like punk bands and hardcore bands in Reading that we always kind of shared a stage with. And we formed this band and, and then all of a sudden there was, that's when we kind of learned about emo. I remember my friend Anthea, who I ended up working in a record shop with, played me, um, like I was into stuff like Fugazi anyway, but, but all of that kind of Revolution Summer stuff, I guess some people would argue is like first wave emo, but it w- it wasn't, I don't know if it was, you know. I guess it was and it wasn't. I mean, it just because it came out hardcore, but it wasn't still what most people call post-hardcore. But yeah, I remember she played me Lurid Traversals of, of Route 7, you know, the Hoover album on Discord. And, mm-hmm. and uh, do you know that record? Yeah. Amazing album. Um, and I think that was when it then started to click and I was reading like 
um, Maximum Rock and Roll and Punk Planet and things like that, you know, you get zines and whatnot, and and that's when emo was getting spoken about a lot, and that's, I guess, that's kind of what our band, which is called Beacon, sort of fell into that world, um, because of all the stuff we were into. So that would have been like, I don't know, like early nineties. And then I think last time we spoke. You mentioned a kind of a London sort of proto emo scene, I think, I that was developing yeah, around that time. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't just London. I mean, it's just that that was the kind of that was where we were playing a lot of shows. But the, the UK, yeah, the UK had this amazing scene that um, came out of that. There was one label in particular called Subjugation that was based in. Uh, in the north I think in like Darlington or Derby or somewhere like that and and uh, Ian and Helene who ran the label were putting out seven inches and in albums by people like Bob Tilton and Baby Harp Seal uh, and tr- I'm sure they did tribute as well um, and and all of a sudden there was the, this whole gang of bands that we managed to get to play with that were were awesome and it was it was a really um super vibrant time and and uh and some amazing bands and and i know that i remember bob tilton getting to do a peel session and that feeling like when it it suddenly like that world's was kind of not breaking through because it was it was like a session on john peel but that was a that was a really big deal because at that point the that whole scene was super underground and we were playing like putting on shows and and occasionally sort of traveling around and they'd, they'd be like all day as at, at the um at the one in 12 in bradford which was a kind of a collective run vegan spot and and they would do these all day as and and you'd have like a really varied bill between kind of quite old school metallic hardcore um and then a lot of the the kind of more emotive <laughs> um kind of falling over like pulling on your shirt angst ridden <laughs> angst ridden uh emo stuff like quite twinkly in places but then really frenetic as well um so yeah that that whole scene was amazing and um and it was cool as well because there were other bands coming over from uh from other countries as well and and we get to play shows with some of them which was kind of cool we supported swing kids at the uh where was it It was in camden it wasn't the um maybe the laurel tree which which was a venue in around the back of camden i think it's like a brew dog or something like that that? now i think it's like oh it's like Like under the arches and round to the yeah 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 yeah. if you were to walk through past like the underworld and the world's end on your left and the black hearts down that little alleyway on the right, but you walk past that and walk down um, as if you're going to, uh, it's all ages, isn't it, the record shop? But, um, and it was there on the right-hand side, and that was, that was like a cool, it was just a pub, and you could kind of rent the upstairs room. So we would, we would like, us and a bunch of other bands would kind of just put shows on, and there'd be people in London in that kind of scene that would be like, oh, do you want to come and play this? And yeah, and we got to support Swing Kids, which was a really big, like at the time was like, whoa, this is like awesome. And and looking back on it is still pretty cool actually. Um 
Yeah. So yeah, we is did, there we did... a? Go on. No, sorry. I was just gonna. I was just gonna say. I wondered if we, if there was a particular <laughs> song that we could play for everyone to kind of sum up that those bands. Um, I guess uh, the 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 two sort of biggest bands in that in that world from the UK were Bob Tilton and also another band called Fabric. Um, so I think when we spoke last time and I was going off about it, I said about playing. Um, playing a fabric song off of their album Body of Water, so maybe Stick Color. Uh, he's checking it. it. It's on there. I'm, I've been uh, I've been listening to it since we last chatted. Oh, do you like it? Yeah, yeah, I do. It's good. Yeah, it's cool. That they were a great band. Um, Andy, who sang in that band. Hang on, where can I put this so that I can keep an eye on Spotify as well without getting in everybody's way? Um, Andy, who played in Fabric. Um, actually ended up joining my band Beacon, or our band Beacon rather. So he sang in that for a little bit, and we did we did a, um, I think we did one sort of demo that was for, I think it was for a label through Polydor actually. Weirdly enough, um, it's like a a guy I knew started a label with um Miles Hunt from the Wonder Stuff because Miles. W- was super into stuff like Jawbox and Fugazi and he actually did a band that was I think in that world actually they did a record with Albini at um oh wow where did they record it they recorded it at Abbey Road actually I think and the band the band was called Vent 414 um and I did the artwork for that record as well um but yeah it was wicked it was it was Miles Hunt, who played guitar and sang, and he was obviously in the Wonder Stuff at the time. Uh, Morgan, who was in the Senseless Things, who now um, plays in Muse. Um, he's like the the guy that does all the extra stuff in Muse. Um, he's an incredible bass player. He played bass in it, and then... Um, Pete Howard, who was in the Clash Mark II, played drums, and uh, and they were this three-piece band. They were a four-piece at one point because I think Billy Duffy from the Cult was in it as well, and it was kind of um, it, but it, as as much as that might have sounded like a '90s indie rock supergroup, it was way more. <laughs> um, yeah, it was quite abrasive and noisy and really syncopated. Amazing stuff, actually. The record still holds up. I listened to it quite recently and was like, "Damn, this is ace." Um, and yeah. that—that's not on Spotify, is it? Probably not, actually. Um, I think you like you can listen to the record on. Um, it's on, yeah. It's definitely on YouTube. A bunch of it, and there's like a couple of videos as well that they did that was really good. Um, but yeah, I don't think the no, the album's not on on Spotify. Good record though. All right, well. Well, let's do let's do fabric, do that. and then we'll come back. So this is fabric, and what do we say? Sick color, stick color. Oh, it says sick on here. I know. I said that last time, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> this is remember. deja vu. Yeah, yeah. I do, I do remember <laughs> picking that song. That's one of my favorites. Well. Six stroke stick color. Stick. I'm going to check the vinyl now. Otherwise, it's going to do my head in. Hold up. Hold tight, caller. Check the vinyl. Right. And did I do 
this last time. I did see the colour. Yeah, we did. It was it was it's strong work either way. Right. Stick colour. But yeah, those dudes those dudes are amazing and, and um uh Chris, who was the drummer in that band, plays in Orange Goblin. Tony, who was the bass player in that band, play is the singer in Turbo Negro. Um Kev, who played guitar in that band, has played in a, a bunch of things since. I think he might be in Sex Swing now, but I'm not sure. Ah, with my friend Ollie Knowles. Yeah. Is, is, um, maybe he's in that. Who else is in that band? Jody's in that band, right? Uh, I think so, yeah. Yeah, Jody Cox. Maybe, yeah. so maybe I'm getting mixed up. Maybe Kev's not in that, but I thought he might be. He's kind of tight with all of those dudes anyway. But yeah. Mm. There we go. There you go. Now, go on, James. James's got his hand up. Yeah, I've got my hand <laughs> up. Uh, is, is, am I right in thinking you ended up supporting Corn at their first UK show? Yes, sir. Yeah, the, the Astoria. Yeah, we opened. Well, that yeah. was, that wasn't Beacon, though. That was, um, that was Above All, who were Southend's okay. premier straight-edge metal band signed to Roadrunner Records. Yes. Um, Good times. Yeah. And I was doing that at the same time as Beacon, I think. And um, and Dan, who was the other Dan, hence me. This is the whole reason for the Daniel P. Carter thing is because the other guy that played in Beacon who played guitar and sang, and I played bass and sang, he was called Dan as well. He was a, another Daniel. So he was Daniel Allen Stewart, and I was Daniel P. Carter. Um. Yeah, I've lost my train of thought. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, lost it again. <laughs> so you were playing in the bands consecutively. <laughs> yes, that was it. And Dan, who also <laughs> played in Beacon, then joined Above All after I had. Right. And he, he played second guitar in that band. But, yeah, when um, when Korn came over, their first show was at the Astoria, and there was... Um, we got to open it, which is funny as well, because I remember my mate Chris playing me the first Corn record. Um, he had like an advanced tape of it from the label. And he was and bearing in mind that like we were all quite snobby musically, and it was all like, you know, if it isn't this, then we don't want to know. Um and and just loved a lap at that point loads of the kind of weird noise rock like Big Black and, and things like that, but then also um, post-hardcore, like Quicksand and Helmet and blah, 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 all that's good stuff. So he got this cassette and was like, listen to this band from America called Corn," And I was like, what's it like? And and because of the stuff we were into, the frame of reference was that. He was like, oh, it's a bit like, it's kind of like Helmet, but it's as noisy as da-da-da-da-da. Because new metal didn't exist at this point. Obviously, I mean, it, it no. kind of, I guess it started with that record. Um, yeah, and I remember him playing me like four songs. I was like, damn, this is ferocious. And um, yeah, and we got to support him. I think that had like quite an influence on it, on like above all as well. Because up until that point, it was like fairly sort of like the debut out. Like, I mean, there's one album and it was quite, quite trad in that sense, kind of straight edge metal. So it was very like earth crisis-y, um, that kind of vibe, I guess. But um, yeah, and then then as soon as that started to come out, 
uh, it all sort of shifted and got a bit heavier. But um, yeah, we got to we got to open for them. We had a, I think we had quite a good show actually. But I remember that there was a band in between us and Corn called Rachel Stamp or the Rachel Stamp, and they were a bit more. Oh, that rings a bell. Yeah, they were more kind of. Um, I like remember, glam. yeah, yeah, quite like, almost placebo-ish, yeah. maybe. Yeah, I, rem- Bro, uh, what is, what was I the remember. I remember them. Yeah, so the the singer had almost like a Brian Mulko-ish thing going on. I think I do remember mm. that, and they were quite they were quite glam, and they just got so much shit thrown at them. <laughs> um, and like we'd just gone on and been like very kind of like. And then they came on and, and were, were, were definitely doing their own thing as well. But um, it didn't really go across with the corn crowd, the proto new metal <laughs> crowd. And they, yeah, they got, they got bottled real bad. And I just remember the stage manager like walking on with a broom after they played, like a really like one of those comedy wide brooms. And, <laughs> and, just, and brushing piles of garbage like cups and bottles and stuff into the corner, like off of the stage. I might be, I might be <laughs> doing them dirty and, and making, making that a lot worse than it was, but I seem to remember at the time they didn't have a particularly great one. But yeah. So the, 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 the worst bottling I've seen was um, Daphne and Celeste. Daphne I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. Well, or, yeah. or that My was Chemical from, Romance. Yeah, that was bad as well. But Daphne and Celeste, that was in between that was in between A and Blink one eight two, wasn't it? At Reading. Mm, yes, and it was. they got so much shit thrown at them. Um but the thing was they really didn't there was like no fucks given. They did not care. They were just having a laugh. And um and I had I had quite a bit of respect for them after that show because I was like, fair play. I think they, I think they actually di- only got to do like two songs, and then the stage manager pulled them. Was like, yeah, that's the end of your set, because it was <laughs> because it was going to be because <laughs> it was stuff was just going to get damaged, and there was going to be so much mess to clear up, all these bottles of piss and whatnot. <laughs> Awful. You'd need a really big comedy room for <laughs> yeah, yeah, stage. yeah. Like one of those ride-on <laughs> lawnmowers, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like the thing they use to uh, to sort the ice out. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. The ice hockey. <laughs> A zamboni, um, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> Is that right? Um, so, uh, so let's let's chat quickly. You just mentioned them. Your your time in A. So, how did you end up joining A? And um, um, when when did that happen? Um, that would have been 97. And at that point, I had left college, I'd been at art college, and I was working with um, a couple of friends who had a management company, who uh, actually managed above all at that point, and a few other bands like Vent, and they managed um, a British band from Derby called Cable. Remember Cable? Yep. Yeah, I love Cable. So great. So great. Um, so they managed them and they were like, oh, there's this band called A um, and we don't manage them, but we would like to. And they've got a studio across the road from our office pretty much because um, uh, Adam and Jason had a recording studio in 
um, in Shoreditch before it was that whole kind of vibe there and you could afford things. And they, they had this <laughs> basement studio and um, they recorded, they'd recorded the debut album with the guy that worked with The Offspring and they'd got signed to Warner's. I think Pete Tong had something to do with it, weirdly enough. And um, so I met with them for the to potentially do the artwork for the debut album, How Ace of Buildings. Um, yeah, and that was, I think, as I said before, like we met up and they looked through my work and they were like, yeah, this is cool, but what we actually want is a painting of a bunch of buildings, like <laughs> kind of like a city skyline. And I was like, yeah, that's not really my thing. And then, and then we just hung out all day and talked about Faith No More and Jane's Addiction because there was something a, a little Jane's Addiction-ish about, about A, I think. And that was partially Jason's voice because, I mean, they were obsessed with, with Jane's as much as stuff like the Beastie Boys and, 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 the, and punk bands. So, um, yeah, I, I think that was the common ground. I think they played me some stuff. I think, yeah, because Winter of 96 is on the debut album and that was when I was like, oh, this is super Jane's Addiction-y. And was into it. Um, but yeah, so we hung up. So we hang out all day and just talked bullshit and uh, discussed music and got excited about stuff as we always do. Um, and then they were like, our bass player is leaving. Uh, even though we've just finished the album and we're not putting it out yet. But he's leaving. So uh, we know you play bass. Do you want to you join our band? I don't know if it came about that quick. I don't think it definitely wasn't at the end of the meeting. I don't think. <laughs> But um, <laughs> but yeah, so that was that, and I went to see them with some friends, who were who were my like trusted opinion, um, and they were supporting Faith No More, I think, maybe at maybe at the Astoria, yeah. Anyway, and I went with them, and and I was like, this band's asked me to join them. What do you reckon? And they were like, nope. <laughs> 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 on, on what basis was the nope i don't know i just don't think they liked it um yeah fair enough yeah i think that um so they were i mean i i would go to to loads of shows with there was like a big gang of girls that would go to a bunch of the kind of metal and some weird hardcore shows but and um and like so I went to see Tool for the first time with all of them and like a bunch of my mates from from where I grew up, and they were like the, this this cool gang of girls that that just looked super badass and and seemed to just go at, to every cool show. So I was there with um, I think with Sylvia and Lee Hair, and I was like, "What do you think of this band?" And they were just like, "Nope." <laughs> but I, <laughs> but as it as it happened, I was like, "Well, I like it," and um. And uh, I think they were like, yeah, we've got some shows booked, so we need to get rehearsing soon if you're going to do it. And I was like, yeah, I'm in. But, um, yeah, so th that was that, really. And, and I think we did we did one show at the Falcon in Camden as, like, a warm-up, and then we did the Vans Warp Tent at Reading. And that was it for me. Yeah. Because, yeah, like I said, growing up in Reading and going to that festival since I was teeny tiny, it's like a real big deal. And the band, um, the my, my memory of the band is you guys were literally playing live nonstop, it seemed like. Yeah. Is that how it was? And did you, was that because you just purely loved playing live or was it, 
was there a plan there what was what was going on i mean <laughs> as far as i was aware we we did we got offered a bunch of stuff like our agent at that time was um was steve strange who uh he passed away at the end of last year sadly but he was um like a legendary agent and um and he booked i mean like queens of the stone age and eminem and coldplay and stuff like that um and but then he was really passionate about finding sort of brand new bands and helping them out as well and he did ash at that time and he and he kind of took us under his wing as well so we yeah we just seemed to get like a bunch of shows and and we because we were friendly with a ton of other bands bands like symposium would always be like yeah come and mm. like come and do this tour um so we played with them quite a bit i think um but but prior to me joining like they did some really weird shows as well they like supported the jesus lizard which is like a terrible matchup i think i love the <laughs> jesus lizard absolutely one of my favorite all-time bands and and beacon had supported the jesus lizard before in reading and stuff so because we were like the perennial local band that would get like supports but um yeah they would just do everything like supported sex pistols and things like that when they came back and did that um showing like wherever it was finsbury park or whatever but yeah we just got offered everything and and i don't think anyone was going to go nah I don't, I don't think we should do this we just did everything which was pretty nuts yeah yeah and we we had like <laughs> did this, you enjoy it yeah, it was sick, man. We we I just remember we, it was like a real, um. Yeah, it was a, just an adventure. That was what what I'd always wanted to do was like playing a like a band and and travel around and have a laugh with my mates, and that was that was awesome. That that there because there's three brothers in the band, their whole kind of infectious enthusiasm for everything was just so overwhelming that yeah we'd just say yes to everything probably shouldn't have done yeah. for a lot of it but <laughs> but yeah that was that <laughs> um and uh so you, you, i mean you played with loads of bands and toured with lots of bands you mentioned symposium already who um i am uh was am a massive fan of um were there any other bands that you particularly liked playing with with a um yeah I don't know, really. Uh, I, I mean, we had some. We we were lucky because we, because we were kind of like. I guess we. I mean, we weren't a punk band by any stretch of the imagination. But that was one of the things that we were all into was into like punk and hardcore. But then everybody else was into loads of other kind of weirder stuff, and um, so we'd get offered everything. But I remember we were lucky in the sense that we got offered stuff like. Like we did a tour with the Offspring, um, which was mm -hmm. really sick, and and AFI was on that as well, I think. And we did a run of shows with them, and we did some stuff with Green Day when they did those. They did like three or four kind of shows around the UK. It was like Green Day with Iggy Pop as main support, and then us, and I think I think Hundred Reasons were on that bill as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, we we had some amazing like supports and whatnot. And um, and yeah, like the festival circuit in in Europe was always amazing as well because that was you know we'd we'd end up playing shows with people like Slipknot and Deftones on festival days and kind of that's start to get to know some of those dudes through that which was cool. Um, 
but yeah i mean it was it was a pretty good time actually like the uk had had this quite a vibey scene going on and and things were pretty decent yeah good times good times yeah and then it was it was around about the third album where it all kind of seemed to go up a level for the band is is that yeah. fair to say Bri- when briefly uh, nothing and starbucks <laughs> came out briefly yeah yeah <laughs> what, because what was the vibe in the band at that time that was that was pretty low actually thinking about it because oh, really we, yeah because we'd been told so prior to any of that stuff happening we'd essentially been told that we were going to get dropped like our manager was like okay. they're, they're going to drop you and we were like oh but this is all we want to do and this is kind of how we're paying well not really paying the bills because that was a struggle at the time <laughs> but do you know what i mean that was how we made what little money we had so um uh i think they were like well they, they've said go away and record three songs and if they're good enough then they won't drop you but prior to okay. that our um our publishing company which was warner chapel i think at the time dropped did drop us so it was like we got dropped by publishing and then the label's going to drop you as well go go and make these three songs so we went to this incredible studio in brussels called icp um which is this awesome uh i guess there's like three or four rooms in there but it's aside from it being this amazing studio there's like a warehouse on the side with everything you could ever want to use if you were to record any type of album ever just in there and 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 you just go in in the morning with a trolley and i'd be like i'm gonna try this amp and this bass and i'm gonna try these pedals (laughs) and so that was cool but um yeah, we made we we rec- the three songs we recorded were nothing, Starbucks, and I think something's going on because we were like, I think we had the bulk of the album already written, but we we're like these would be the singles if we were to to do the record as as it is, um, so yeah, and the funny thing is as well, it's like every I think the thing is with with a everyone was like, oh yeah, you're that that band that had the song about Starbucks and. But the the weird thing about that was that, like we were on tour and we were aware that we were probably going to have to stop doing the band and and then go and find a, a, any kind of employment other than the stuff we were doing. And we were like, well, we're pretty much unemployable at this point because of the way we speak to each other and you know what like <laughs> what are essentially our workmates because you know what it's like you you just. It's just no respect. I mean, it's all respect, but the way you speak to each other is just so harsh and cutting <laughs> and sarcastic all the time. We were like, we're unemployable. Where are we going to work? And every, and we, I remember we had this one night where we were sat all literally like, what are we going to do? And it was like, well, we just have to go and get a job in, like, I don't know, I'll go and get a job in McDonald's. And it's like, well, I don't want to work. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was like, I don't want to work in McDonald's because I'm, I wasn't vegan at that point, but I was vegetarian. And I was like, I don't want to work in McDonald's. And, and, and then it was like, well, maybe Pizza Hut would be better. And then, and then we kind of started tallying up what would be the best service industry <laughs> to work in and settled on, well, Starbucks is going to be the best, right? Because then you just get free coffee all day <laughs> and get to eat <laughs> cinnamon swirls. <laughs> And so what actually was this really bleak conversation about us being unemployable and what are we going to do with our lives 
we all settled on, well, we'll just all go and get a job in Starbucks. And and that and that's how that song like and then it was like Jason was like, But I don't wanna do that. I wanna keep doing the band and it was like it's really kind of serious thing. But when you hear that song, people are just like, That's the weirdest like it just sounds like a joke. But that was like an actual moment of existential crisis <laughs> where we were all like, What are we gonna do? We're gonna have to work in Starbucks. Shout out Starbucks, by the way. Big ups, they're doing lots of good vegan stuff at the moment. Nice. They are. Yeah. <laughs> but what is it? The meat I mean like no ad, but like that like meat what is it? The meat free uh, breakfast the, sandwich the, thing? The, the Beyond Meat breakfast thing with the fake egg in it. Whew, hello. Wow. Nice. Pretty special. Yeah. Anyway. Shall we for a last <laughs> place play Starbucks for everyone? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Side note, when that song first was written, I wrote that uh, we had a we had like a rehearsal space in Elephant and Castle and uh, I would sit there. Well, at various times, each of us would stay late at different times. And I remember writing that and it sounded like Jimmy Eat World because it was actually half the speed. So the guitar part was like really, it sounded like something off of Clarity. I was obsessed with Clarity at that point. Um, so yeah, it was this really slow, twinkly, like quite melancholic vibe and then gave it to jason he was like cool let's do it twice the speed and i'll sing about <laughs> starbucks over the top another side note have you seen the phoenix sessions version of clarity they did over lockdown and they just released the live record of ah uh, no of it? they but they did live streams didn't they of of didn't they do all the records or or a few of them they did like Four of them, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think yeah, they yeah. did Clarity Futures, Bleed American, and Chasing L- Survive. Oh, okay. Maybe? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah the last record, yeah. Um, no, I didn't. But yeah, I'm aware of it. That record, though, whew, so great. I would say top five emo records of all time. Clarity. Oh yeah. Look at, Ooh, look at okay. Matt glazing over because so, every so, time I mention it, you no, have to speak. No, you're not. <laughs> you disagree? Uh, yeah. Go on. Um, <laughs> uh, I was going to yeah. ask you, what are the other four? Um, Put you really on the spot. Yeah, that's really on the spot, isn't it? Johnny on the spot. Almost. Or at least a couple. Okay. Um, Sultans of Sentiment by the Van Pelt, which I think I went off about last time, and that was a... That's an incredible, incredible album. And I love that record with with all my heart because it was a super mad, stressful time in my life when I had it on, when I first got a cassette of it and um, would just listen to it over and over whilst frantically trying to do up a house that my pregnant wife was waiting to move into with our foot and like (laughs) before we had our son. So it was like my life was just like, "Uh, uh, I've got a move a house and fix a house and make it suitable for a baby and and it was like m- so stressful and i just listened to sultans of sentiment on repeat which is like never a good idea <laughs> when you're bad <laughs> emotional to listen to i mean it's the best isn't it that's when emotional music sits at its peak but but at the same time it's almost like you're just torturing yourself um so that would be there um i would say uh evergreen the self-titled album um 
Okay. I want to say it's called Words All Repeat, but I don't think that is the name of it. Um, but that's that's a really that was a really hard to find record. And actually, Andy from Fabric had a copy of it, and I literally punished him for years and years and years to try and get him to sell me it. And then fairly recently, he moved, and he was like, "Yeah, I'm getting rid of all my records." And I was like, "Have you still got this?" And he was like, "Yeah, I bought that off him." Uh, amazing <laughs> album. So yeah, Evergreen. Do you know that band? No, I don't. Uh, they were from, I believe, San Diego. Uh, okay. Three piece, and it was again quite. I mean, it's very emo, sort of like second wave, but incredible. That album's amazing, and I don't think any of it is on Spotify. Before we even get into that. Um, but no, yeah, no, it's not. No, but there <laughs> that that record is one of those ones like you speak to people that are in that kind of world, especially the more nerdy record collector types, and you you say about Evergreen, and there's always like a knowing nod. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um. Well, how many is that? That's like three, right? Oh, I don't know. Um. Because I'm old, or definitely older than both of you, uh, my my eras are probably going to be slightly different. Um, I don't know what else, man. Maybe something by Fugazi, but then that starts that whole argument of going, well, that's not an emo record. Um, but uh, maybe Steady Diet and Nothing. Actually, no... I would say In On The Kill Take is my favourite Fugazi record, but it's probably one of the least emo ones. I don't know. It's too okay. too much pressure. We've got one more. One more. <laughs> He's checking his records. I'm just looking at records, like the, the records going to jump out. Um... Are, we, are we allowing Jawbox in? Yeah, that can, that can go. Totally. In. Okay, uh, then in that case, I would probably choose. Um, maybe for your own special sweetheart. Yeah, nice. Love that band. Let's drop that in here because otherwise we won't have played any music at all, <laughs> and then we'll move on. Okay, I guess savory off of that record is that's like that's the hit classic. Yeah. Okay, this is Savory by Jawbox. Um, and then very quickly, let's just have a have a chat about all the uh, the numerous other bands that you've been in because there's been <laughs> some good ones. Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh. So for people that don't know, uh, we won't play them all, but you go and check them out. Hexes, um, the Lucky Nine. Yeah. You were in Matt Willis's band. I was briefly <laughs> in Matt Willis's band. Wrote his album with him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, Crocodile. Yeah. That kind and, of still uh, exists, sort of. Okay. In okay. our minds. <laughs> 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 so we did that. We did that first record, and um, and it did really well actually. Like within that world, and we we got some, you know, some decent shows out of it and stuff. Um, and then we, we started writing the second record pretty soon afterwards. And I think I probably got two thirds of the album done and it's all just, it's like 
most projects I do is just sat on a hard drive um, because obviously everybody's doing other stuff and, and uh, yeah. But at some point that might happen again. Who knows? Uh, out of all of them, that's probably the one that I'd most like to actually revisit and do a second record. Okay. Um, but yeah. And then, but um, then, but then there's like other things now, again, like I've got, four projects on the go and one of them might actually see the light of day so who knows one of them actually at Excellent. the moment is chef's kiss very excited about it well, but we'll, see. <laughs> well we'll uh we'll look forward to that um and you were also in the bloodhound gang for yep. a time yeah um and i was wondering if you could um possibly tell us what happened in russia not unless you've got an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Give us the highlight version. The the abridged version is um, we were playing a bunch of shows around, I think it was just around Eastern Europe. And we'd, I think we'd like done rehearsals in, in Bulgaria for some reason. And then we basically what the band would do jim would always do this thing where if you were playing in france and it would be like anyone from belgium here tonight and there'd be like two people or most people would boo and he'd be like yeah blah 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 and then talk shit on belgium and then you'd be in belgium <laughs> the next day and he'd be like anyone from france here tonight and everyone would boo and then he'd talk shit on france do you know what i mean it was just shtick and we got to the ukraine for the first show in Kiev. And I think he was like, anyone from Russia here tonight? And it was, this was prior to the annexation of Crimea, I think. So the, the entire crowd erupted and a chant of fuck Russia started. Um, and I was just like, well, this has got, this is not shtick now. This is like legit. No, this has got real. Legit, got serious. legit angry, angry mob. And then the next day, or the next show rather was in Odessa, which again is is still in the Ukraine, uh, on the coast by the Black Sea, and a bunch of stuff had happened at that show, which made it feel like it was teetering on the edge. I mean, all the shows felt like that anyway. That was that was kind of part of what that band was about, I guess, was just pushing the limit of what was acceptable comedy, as well as playing songs. And um, to the point where, like, there was horrific things going on, like full Gigi Allen-esque people pissing in each other's ears on stage and things like that. It was really out of order. <laughs> Not me. I was just literally like, I'm the, I'm the hired guitar guy. So I'll just, I'll just stand at <laughs> the corner. I'll just stand, at the, yeah, I'll just stand <laughs> at the back and play guitar. And, and, uh, um, but, yeah, at that show... It was already on the edge, and then somebody threw a Russian flag on stage, and I was unaware of what that was. I think everybody was, really, but um, the bass player, Jared, picked it up and did a full gym wipe with it. He, like, put it down the back of his trousers and did the, like, you know, the front-to-back thing. Great. Yeah, respectful. And, yeah, and, like, the thing is, when when I saw him pick it up, um, and realized that he just literally beer bonged a bottle of of Jägermeister, so was was absolutely shit faced. I was just going <laughs> no, no, <laughs> and um and then that happened, 
and he threw it back in the crowd. And then I think we actually got escorted out of the venue as soon as we finished playing because it felt like it was going to erupt. It turns out there was like quite a large Russian contingent that lived in that, that part. And then, uh, so then we go to headline this festival in Russia a couple of days later, and we had a day off in Russia beforehand, and that was cool. And and we were playing this festival called Kubana in uh, Anapa. And what we didn't realize was that that all the footage had suddenly gone viral in Russia of both incidents in the Ukraine, because obviously there was so much tension between those two countries at that point. Um, and, like, it it made the, the evening news in Russia. And, like, the Minister, of oh, Col- wow. the Minister of Culture was in Parliament going, why are we allowing these American idiots to to, like, play in our country and disrespect our country and blah, blah, blah. Um, so when we got to the festival that night, um, I think, I don't even know if we were aware that that had gone on at that point. Maybe we had. But anyway, as we were pulling onto the festival site, there was loads of police and loads of military. And I was like, that's kind of weird that the festival security is that. Anyway, so it turns out that the, the, the festival organizer made us do this press conference and uh and sign like a a waiver to say we won't do this and we won't do that and um so it's weird because myself and adam who used to play an a with me as well like the two english guys that were kind of in the band were just sat like with hoods up and sunglasses on in this <laughs> kind of at the back of this press press <laughs> conference going i have no idea what's going on right now i literally <laughs> just thought we were we were in a band for a laugh and to like whatever anyway yeah so they made us do that and then we went back to the dressing room and they were like now you must leave (laughs) and um i think that the press conference basically not because we were told it was so that we could like headline the festival that night and you know actually play but i think it was probably more so that the festival didn't get cancelled um so yeah we went back to the hotel and they were like go to your room lock the door um (laughs) and then a a ton of other stuff happened that evening that was really like where I suddenly realized, whoa, this is really legit serious and, and actually scary. And when we went to the, um, the airport the next day, there was like a full on Simpson style angry mob outside oh, no. <laughs> and they attacked the van. Wow. We, yeah. They attacked the van that we were in. Um, and then the police were called and then the police just waded in and were being super aggressive and just like, it was really scary, actually. But then they put us in this side room in the airport, in like the private lounge, and um, and I saw, and whilst I, we were all sat there, kind of waiting, they while they took our passports to check us all in, I looked out the window and I saw um a ton of skinheads getting out of a van <laughs> that were all in basically <laughs> like matching outfits, and I was like, this isn't good, and and uh one of the russian guys that was with us was like don't worry about it you're in an airport sort of thing what what's going to happen and then 10 minutes later the police let the skinheads into the room and they came charging in and there was a full western style like a cowboy style barroom brawl um and 
I think, yeah, it it just it just spiraled and spiraled and spiraled from there. I don't want to get into it too much because I fe- I swear I've got PTSD from it. I mean, there's never yeah. there's never a time when you're do like going to play a gig where you actually start collecting holiday brochures and putting them down your trousers uh, and like around your body because you've seen a prison documentary of how you make a stab proof vest if you're imprisoned (laughs) 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 because uh we got told that there was going to be more of these guys coming because they felt like they hadn't given us a kick in because there was it turned out there was 13 of us obviously band and crew and they think they thought there was going to be five people uh so yeah so then then they threatened to come to the airport and kill us and then we had to call all of the u like the u.s embassy the british embassy there was a canadian with us and three germans so we all had to call our respective like embassies and whatnot who then contacted the russian authorities and went don't let them kill them they're very (laughs) they're very silly boys uh yeah (laughs) and then they and then they uh essentially fleeced us for a ridiculous amount of money um to get on an airplane because basically our flight was at at midday and they said you're not getting that flight um you're gonna have to get the later flight because they've put a bomb in your gear um as it turns out they obviously hadn't but um yeah so they they made us buy 13 new tickets to fly to Moscow and then 13 new tickets to leave Moscow to go. We were meant to be going to back to the UK, I think, all of us. But, um, yeah, it spiralled. Ended it like full international incident and uh, being told you're never allowed back in a country again and receiving death threats for a year. Wow. Yeah. Um, I'm going to hold my hand up now and um, <laughs> and admit that when I asked the question, I knew up to like the leaving the festival part. <laughs> I didn't know that the next bit. Yeah, that's. So I apologise for that. No, that's fine. That's the abridged <laughs> version as well. So. Um, yeah. Wow. It was pretty good times okay. in the Bloodhound. Yeah, game. yeah, it was. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and that was the end of the. B- and we haven't done anything since. So. No. Yeah. Okay, well, on that night, on that note, should we play a cro- crocodile song? <laughs> yeah, let's play. Uh, <laughs> um, let's play Shatter. Yeah, or Dead Man's Path. I don't mind. Up to you. Whatever you want. Brilliant. Uh, this is Shatter by Crocodile. All right. So now we're going to somehow segue (laughs) in a very smooth manner with no mention of, just, well, can I do it? So do you read the Hawkeye comic slash have you seen Hawkeye? Yes, I've seen it. Uh, Didn't read the comics, but did read um, West Coast Avengers, which he was a member of, as we all know. Um, uh so yeah why what are you gonna say i thought that i thought the show was pretty good i enjoyed it yeah me too enjoyed it matching tracksuits that was where i was that wasn't the segue i was oh, trying yeah, for. the lamest gang in the world <laughs> uh yeah 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 did it right somehow made a segue right drawing art stuff done it nailed it nice um so yeah so we were going to talk about art for a bit because as we remember from last time um, art and music, my obsessions also. And I also went yes. to art school. Yes. So, um, yeah, we're going to try and make a segue. Now, I saw 
on your Instagram. You very bravely uh, posted your student portfolio this week. Uh, yeah, yeah, I found yeah because I've been the ongoing saga of tidying my studio. Um, oh right. So I keep finding these things that are like some people's treasure, and or essentially my treasure. And my wife's absolute garbage that she insists I just <laughs> put in a skip and burn. But I keep finding these things like like a Bronx Ouija board, which I'm like, no. this, which is, this is awesome. Obviously, sure. I want this. Uh, so I'll put it back on a shelf where it will gather more dust for another eight years. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Things like that. But yeah, I, I found... Um, cause I'm getting rid of my sofa. If you know anyone that wants a nice two seater sofa, <laughs> um, I Ooh, found my hashtag <laughs> ad <laughs> hashtag gum tree. I found, um, mm-hmm. I found my portfolio underneath it and was looking through it and it was, I was like, wow, I'm definitely still, I mean, I'm still like it where I would get obsessed with different artists and basically rip them off. Sure. Um, but yeah, I found that and some of it was shockingly bad, but then some of it was kind of funny as well. And I thought I'd post it and a bunch of people were like, this is really good. So that was nice. Yeah, um, I also thought it was good. Did you, um, did you, when you look back at old stuff, hmm. is it, is it, is it enjoyable? Is it nostalgic or is it extremely painful? Uh, all of the above i think i think okay. same same with anything isn't it anything creative same with music like we could sit like we we've just spoken for nearly an hour yep literally four seconds away from an hour talking about past musical projects but and 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 i view them or some of those the same way i do with art where, where it is all of those things where you look back and you go ah oh, you could we could have done that so much better or i wish i could have painted properly at that point or if I'd have stuck with this, I would be actually able to play a guitar properly by now. Or, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's one, of, it's one of those things. But, but you know, like everything, without wanting to sound like a hippie, like, life's a journey, man. And, um, you know, all those things, all those mistakes, all the, they're all part of a learning curve that gets you to a point where you're trying to be a better person. And that, that, you know that's that goes for art and any kind of creative endeavor especially so yeah i look back on some of it and and cringe but then there's other bits where i go oh this is cool to see because i can see now like i can actually paint a lot better than i could so hopefully in five years time i'll look back at this work and view it the same way maybe you know what i mean though yeah yeah 100 percent. yeah well well yeah i mean i i, I admire you I, I don't have the strength my portfolio's in there somewhere and i've got no des- no desire this is the cupboard of doom and it will not be opened but it's good to do once in a while man it's good to look back on those things because you re- you realize that um hopefully that you have made if not a progression you've you've like taken your work to somewhere else and and all those things that you did, you've learned from. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. No. 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 For sure. I have um, different things that I. Yeah, I have different ages of my stuff around my flat. The nice bits. Yeah. And I like. Yeah. I mean, I I feel like you see a a journey or a story in it. Like yeah. 
that bit, oh, that was that bit's awful, but that was interesting, and that led me to that, or that led me there. Yeah, for sure. Like, I'm the same. I've got a couple of bits up in my house. Like, I've been really lucky, actually, over Instagram to meet loads of my heroes, like art heroes, and get to, and just, like, get talking to them. And then they've just said things like, oh, I'll swap this with you if you want this. Um, and ended up with, like, a really nice collection of, of work from people that I really admire. Um, but then I've got like a few pieces of mine up as well. And, and you know, I kind of look at them every day and go, huh, that's all right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's really good. Yeah, um, there's, there's a few things. I, w- I wanted to ask you a little bit about your process. Yeah. When you're doing um, album covers. Hmm. Because I, for me, I listen to music when I'm drawing. And for some reason, I can remember the the music that I was listening to when I look back at the art. Wow. Don't know why. It's no, that's just cool, it's though. burned into me. Yeah. When you're doing record covers, because I know that's often what you're doing. Yeah. Is that, um, do you listen to the record? Are you doing options and yeah. letting the artist choose? Or is it um, more of a, this is what I feel that's what I've given you. Yeah. I, um, again, all of the above. I, the thing is, I think that anyone that's asked me to do artwork kind of knows a bit of what my art looks like. And it is, you know, there's... You kind of know what you're going to get. It's like, I mean, obviously I'm not comparing myself to... But if you ask John Baisley to do your artwork, you know what sure. you're going to get. You know that it's going to be awesome and it's going to look like this, and the chances are there'll be recurring themes of this, this, and this within it because they're the the themes of his work, but he'll then adapt it to fit within the work that he's making it for. You know what I mean? So Yeah, totally. I, I feel like if anyone's asked me to do artwork in the past, they know what my work's going to look like, but then uh, I'll listen to the music, but mainly I'll ask for the lyrics especially. Okay. Um, and then I do that thing where I'll just clearly misinterpret all the things that they're talking about <laughs> and then <laughs> tie it and tie it into things that I find really interesting and kind of build the bridges that way. Um, okay. Generally, anyway. But it all, it all kind of depends. I mean, um, or sometimes there's been things where people have just gone, have you got any artwork that, that hasn't been used for anything? And I'll go, Mm. Oh yeah, I've got this, 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 and this, and then they'll go. Oh, we really like this. Can we use that? And I'll be like, okay. And they generally kind of right. fit, and and they, it almost seems like that that was made for that, because it's almost like it was waiting to happen. But um, yeah. like at the moment, I'm, what am I doing? I'm doing one out. I've got one album cover to do at the moment for a band that no one knows exists yet. Actually, that's not true. I think a few people do now. But anyway, for this this new band, um, and I kind of got like a bunch of information about what the record is probably going to be about and what kind of themes and and how I react to the names of, of titles or the name of the band. So I started this really grand, giant painting that kind of took in all those things, but I also wanted it to look a bit like... Um, you know, Larry Carroll, who did all the Slayer artwork. 
I do, yeah. Just incredible. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, right. Just some of the best album covers in metal, which is funny because that was always like a side note for him because he, he made these really obscure, weird, sort of very uh, minimalist abstract work and sculptures. He's Did actually. He? F- I don't yeah. know much about his other work. Yeah, he's a fine artist and he would do like, he would make these things that look like a cross between a kite and a table and that would be like one of his sculptures. So it would be like canvas and like weird kind of yeah. sticks and stuff. But then he would, whenever he did stuff for um, Slayer, it was very much like, oh, that's definitely a Slayer record. Do you know what I mean? But that yes. but none of his other work really looked like that. He did some illustration, I think, for like the New York Times and things like that, where it was a bit more along those lines. But anyway, I digress. I really wanted to make something along those lines because that was that was some of the most incredible artwork when I was coming up. I found it super inspiring and very dark and really powerful. So I started this massive painting, like the biggest painting I've ever done. It was like, I guess, nearly like two meters square, maybe. Uh, and and I started working through it, and it was during. Um, it was during all the protests of last year, so there were there were themes of that had made its way in. So it's it was like um, I just read a book called King Leopold's Ghost as well, which is about the the history of uh, Leopold, King of Belgium, and how Belgium went over and and took over the Congo essentially, and the genocide that happened during all of that, which is a, it's an incredible book, super heavy read, but. Um, that had really moved me and I felt really strongly about it. And then a, a ton of protests obviously happened. Um, so I started to include themes of that and it, it started, it turned into this massive painting of, of Leopold carrying on a horse, his own statue, one of the ones which had been defaced during the BLM um, protests in, in uh, Belgium. So it was like him on his horse with this thing attached to it with paint splashed all over it. And there was like this vision appearing before him and blah, blah, blah. This massive work. And it was super intricate. And I was but I was like, yep, I've dug myself a hole now. I don't know where I'm going with this. It's way too ambitious. And then the singer in the band saw this other thing that I'd done. And he was like, oh, I like that really simple small painting you've done of, of a skull wrapped in tinfoil. <laughs> and I was like, brilliant. Should we just use that? so so i so i abandoned this massive vast piece with all these different meanings within it that that just it defeated me if i'm honest that's another thing like often uh, as an artist yourself it's you'll know it's like when is a painting done or when do you give up on a painting is just as important a question and uh i cut my i cut my losses and and left that and i was very glad that he he likes the other one. I think the other one's kind of stronger in, in a sense as, as a visual image anyway. But yeah, so anyway, so talking about album artwork, I'll I'll try and go on this massive thing. And I was giving him all these references and saying, this ties in with this and this ties in with this. And he's like, yeah, this is incredible. Got really excited about it. And then the singer in the band was like, actually, I like this really simple idea that you've done there. And I was like, <laughs> great. <laughs> I'll show you the painting in a minute when we're done, but it's like too much. Yeah. Yeah. Can't wait. Um, Speaking of too much, 
do you regret doing a portrait an episode for Swim? Uh, yes. But, <laughs> but the thing is, I mean, for all we know, I mean, touch wood, that'll not happen again. But you, you, you never know, do you? You never know what t- what time is going to reveal, I guess. Um, but yeah, it is what it is, man. I feel like, um, yeah. What can you do? Yeah. Well, I think it's it must be quite. Um, does it help you choose the people for swim? What from now on, you mean? <laughs> The Maybe. easy ones to draw. <laughs> oh right, no, what? I mean, who like, I'm? Who I'm going to paint? You mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because because obviously your your decision of the people that you put on the podcast. The thing that I love about it is that it's quite. Um, you never know who it's going to be, and yeah. I think that's great and really interesting. But like the the decision of your guests also involves the artwork and um, the collaborative process between it. So it feels like. It must, um, to a certain extent, I'm guessing, be part of the decision-making process. Uh, no, it's not actually, because the art, even though the artwork is, even though like I was like, I'm gonna paint every guest that comes on the sh- on the podcast right. from the off. That was like the decision that I set myself, which was a terrible thing to do because it's the th- <laughs> it's the thing that holds them up and. And it is also a fight as well. And, you know, to do a portrait of someone, you want to get it right. You don't want to, you don't want them to go, oh God, that's awful. You made me look terrible. (laughs) So you, so you're constantly trying to, to get that right. Um, But yeah, that can hold it up. Um, And I feel like, no, I mean, as far as the, the sort of, thinking on going on who I want on the pod it's mainly just people that I want to have conversations with and get to know better that's that's the sole reason for doing the podcast really because I've seen something in their work that resonated with me that I want to know about and I want to see if what I think it might be is is actually what it is that or that you know that I've seen something in their work because you know that that podcast it generally always ends up on the kind of mystical where right. does, like where does creativity come from and and um and talk about what I guess some people would call magic um and that's that's more the driving force for who I get on, but now i've also i started to make a decision that was like I need to I don't know, maybe I need to balance this out more with the type of music that's covered on it, but also like the type of people that I'm having on. I mean, is it because then I suddenly started looking at it going, oh, wait, maybe maybe it looks like all I'm interested in is one genre of music. Do you know what I mean? Right. Um, which isn't the case. So there's there's been a few that, that kind of go step outside of that. I mean, obviously the wheelhouse for the show is the the sort of music that I guess I'm probably known for because of the rock show, like the radio show. Um, and that's how I've got to know a lot of those people who had that first introduction on how I'm going to get to do a podcast with them. But then I also want to do the ones with Alan Moore and 
um, you know, and like Grant Morrison and and or like James Lavelle from Uncle because when that when that record came out, The Road Part One, I really loved it and I thought he'd be really interesting to speak to. But um, but yeah, I mean, I've I've got this long list of people that are dream guests and and i kind of every time i see people i'll be like oh do you want to do the podcast and they're like yeah of course I, i'd really like to do that um but it's just a case of getting around to doing it um so yeah i mean hopefully in the next year i'm going to try and do more but we'll see i'll say that now and it'll probably never come to fruition and i'll probably do like three <laughs> in a year <laughs> but um but I, I have already spoken to a bunch of people so hopefully we'll get some of those done soon like I'm going to do one with Emma Rufrundle, hopefully soon. Uh, I want to do one with Dana Dentata as well. Um, I, I mean, we'll see. There's like a bunch, so we'll see. Well, I, I will be eating all that up with a spoon. That was a bit weird thing to say, but sure, why not? <laughs> I'll be right in there <laughs> on that. Um, somehow, I feel like we need to end this with a song. Somehow, um, maybe we could play is there particular music at the moment that's inspiring you while you paint uh yeah i mean i generally listen to a lot of quite sort of hypnotic stuff um like om and horseback and you know things like that a lot of post-rock as well but i've been because of this new project i'm working on musical project that's that's kind of black metal but not really like so i've been listening to loads of things like way more than i did before um wolves in the throne room and and bands like trina and um som and stuff like that um so i've been listening to that and a lot of deaf heaven and deftones any bands in the d section of my record collection at the moment <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah i think i mean we could finish with the wolves in the throne room track do you like that record? Do you like that band, first and foremost? I know it's not particularly emo, but... It's, I'll be honest, it's stuck on my list and I haven't listened to it. No, I've not listened. But let's I'm, do that. Amazing. Amazing people as well. And I, I had Aaron, the drummer from that band, on recently, and there was one point where we started talking because him and his brother Nathan had grown up in Olympia um, and we spoke a little bit about the Olympia scene and, like, Riot Girl and and that kind of thing and how and how that even though it seems like a reach but when you listen to their music which is this kind of cascadian black metal there's still a connection because they came through the diy um you know um okay conscious kind of world that is that that is kind of things like riot girl and and um dc punk and 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 the, the a lot of the stuff we've kind of mentioned today so um yeah, so yeah, that's kind of cool. We could maybe play something off of that their last record, Primordial Arcana, which came out this year, uh, last year. Wow, we're in the new year. It's twenty twenty two. Um, yeah, so we could play something off of that. If you want, if you want. Any, any preferences? Uh, I would say either Mountain maybe. Magic or Hang on. Uh, I was going to say, don't do the uh, the ten minute long one. Oh, uh, that's the thing, though. They're all pretty <laughs> long. No, Mountain Magic's like five minutes. That's yeah. fine. Yeah, let's let's do that. Let's go with that. All right. Cool.
This is Mountain Magic by Wolves in the Throne Room. That's an amazing record, by the way. Well worth checking out. Very ecologically sound. Nice. Their whole thing Give is like going into the woods and talking to spirits. Yeah. Says says the man who never leaves tarmac areas. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. Um, right, Mr. Buck, I think it's you. Yes. So let's. Um, I appreciate we are the little timers clicking along. So um, we'll, we'll, if we may, just have a, a quick chat about the the tiny little rock radio show that you host. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. How did how did you end up on Radio One? Um, somebody phoned me up out of the blue and said, "Do you want to be on Radio One?" Okay. <laughs> and it was literally <laughs> that, and I went, "Sure, yeah. okay." Um, Job done. Yeah, and but it wasn't that, but the the production company that do the show and still do to this day, actually. Um, who are an independent production company called up like 14 people and and we all did pilots and then they whittled it down and they whittled it down and this was over quite a long period of time as well so in between each one I was like well that's not going to happen but that doesn't matter because that was never a thing that I was going to do so Mm. why why would I be bothered sort of thing and then it got down to just myself and my friend Katie and they got us to do a co-host which um, was loads of fun, actually, which I thought could have been quite cool. But um, but then they were finally like, no, we just want it to be one voice and we'd like you to do it if, if you want to do it. So I was like, sure. Like, so you kicked Katie out of the room. <laughs> yeah, Katie, <laughs> get your bag. Um, but yeah, so when they said they, they wanted me to do it, I was like, yeah, of course, that would be great. When Like, when do I start? And they were like, next Monday. So over this long okay. period of months of, of kind of doing these like short half an hour pilots where they'd be like, pick six songs and talk about why you like each of these songs. And I tried to cover a bunch of the stuff that I really liked. Um, it All of a sudden it was like, yeah, you're going to go and do like a radio show now to the nation, <laughs> which was <laughs> mildly terrifying. But they, it was cool because the first few, they let me pre-record it. Okay. Which is fine. Which is, I mean, that's because I had to learn how to use both the desks and and the the setup that the BBC uses. So it's a bit like, oh, you can have three driving lessons and then we'd like you to go and uh, race, (laughs) you know, in this, in Monte Carlo, if you could. That would be great. Um, But yeah, um, and I've done it for 15 years. So uh, I love it. And I think the thing is, is that, I realize how important it is and I and I like the fact that I can try and elevate bands that wouldn't normally get any kind of look in on on a station like Radio 1. But it's a tough one because mm. it's only a 2-hour show, isn't it? Like once a week. So and and when you say rock, I mean that I mean just in this hour we've spoken about emo and there, there's like a bunch of different things that fit within that. And that's yeah, one exactly. tiny partition, you know. So, so to do two hours and try and cover everything is is kind of tough. 
And, um, but yeah, it, it's super exciting and it's nice to be able to, to try and help, you know, like a scene. Um, yeah. Which, which I think is really important. But how, how do you, how do you select the, the bands that you play each week? Is it totally your decision or yeah. are there other people in the team that kind of input? How does that all work? Uh, no, I mean, it's me that does it all, but, the thing is that uh, my producer, so I've got a producer and, and an AP as well, but um, because of everything over the last couple of years, it's just been myself and my producer, Carly, and she's got pretty impeccable taste, so she's really into a bunch of things, and, and she'll, but she'll also is, is great at going, I've been sent these 400 songs this week, <laughs> and I'll go, great, I've got 500 as well, and then... Um, yeah. And then we try, and then she'll send me all the stuff and she'll be like, what about this? What about this? This sounds kind of like this. And you, I know you like this band, so you'll probably like this. And I mean, most of the time she's right. <laughs> but mm. so I try and program the show so that everything gets a look in so that it'll go from the really poppy end of stuff and then finish on like Wolves in the Throne Room or Neurosis or thou or you know what i mean something like really crushingly obnoxious yeah um and and because they all deserve to get played you know like i grew up listening to listening to peel and he would he would play i mean his was vast the stuff he would play but he would play like like grindcore became a thing because he really championed it in the uk i mean obviously that, that those scenes existed worldwide but, but, but you know what I mean? Like to get bands like um, Napalm Death and Extreme Noise Terror and Electro Hippies and Heresy and all these bands to go into Maida Vale, which was the best studio they probably had recorded in at that point. Um, I found it really important and it, and it was amazing to, to sit and hear this bludgeoning, really, really fringe music on, on Radio 1. So... Um, so I kind of keep with that, even though there are times when Carly's like, yeah, we should probably not play this 19-minute long Yob song. <laughs> I'm like, well, I think we should because I think it's amazing and no one else is going to play it on the station. And she was like, yeah, there's a reason for that. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's generally the, the way of doing it. But I also so you like... you say that you try and... Sorry, go on. No, 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 go on. You, you said you were saying that you um, you kind of try and give different genres a, a chance and everything. Is it literally like right? We've got a pop punk band tick. We've got a metal band tick. Is it that kind um, of black and white or not really? Because because it, it sometimes it will be like the first hour of the show will be like eight pop punk bands followed mm. by you know, I don't know, like a something like Tiger Cub or a, one of those more kind of or like Mysterines or some kind of more like, oh, they're kind of in that Queens of the Stone Age world. Do you know what I mean? But um, there's not really like a checklist. I just feel like the, I still work to the format that it used to be that the show used to come after the chart show and then I would do the show and then the chillest show would come afterwards. So I really got into this groove of playing playing the show so that it was this arc between those two so that it would go from yeah. the really poppier end of things whether that was like i don't know 
wh- whatever, like say pop punk, for example. Yeah. Um, into the the kind of really abrasive stuff, and then finish on like A.A. Uh, a. Williams or Chelsea Wolf or mm. Explosions in the Sky or, or something, so that it was it would go into the Chillish show and it would feel like this seamless thing. Um, okay. And then they change the schedule around as they do after <laughs> several years. But I still feel like that's kind of a good format because if you start the show with the kind of more palatable stuff, because you've got to remember it's national radio, right? And there, there'll be yeah. people that are just driving in out in their car and suddenly it, the rock show will start. And when that starts, you don't want to immediately start with, I don't know, man is the bastard or something so that people are like, whoa, what the hell is this? And and get terrified. You kind of just want to, like, you're almost laying like a breadcrumb trail so they they start and go, okay, this is kind of cool. Or like, oh, I like Food Fighters. Do you know what I mean? And then before you know it, um, they're listening to... You lure them in. Yeah, the next thing you know, they're listening to Author and Punisher or something. Do you know what I mean? So <laughs> I always felt like that was that's the best way of doing it. And they gen- generally the show would have yeah the poppier end of stuff in the first hour. Then the second hour would be, or the end of the first hour into the second hour would be the more metally stuff. And then into that sort of third, sort of third quarter where you'd play like really abrasive, fast, hardcore that's super obnoxious and and gets you really pumped and then kind of finish on something a little more um, beautiful. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, And you, you said like, I, you know, 500 songs I got sent this week or whatever. Hmm. Like how, how much time do you spend just sitting there listening to music? And uh, before you answer that, it must be harder now because it's so, I was going to say easy to produce a song. Obviously, it's not easy. Um, yeah. But, you know, with Max and you know, all the technology, like before, I imagine 10 years ago, you could just go, no, it sounds, sounds shit, next, sounds shit, next. You know, it's not no, good because, quality. No, because that isn't ever... Uh, I mean, sound quality isn't necessarily one of the things that comes into it. Like, I'll still, okay. pr- I'll still play, like a black flag song or nation of Ulysses or mm. something like that. And, you know, you listen to those records and, and yeah, you're right. You can make records that sonically sound better than those, yeah. those records now in your, in your bedroom. But that's not the important thing about those records. The important thing is the art that's involved and how it makes you feel and how vital it is. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, um, and also like a like a document of a time and a place. Yeah, of course, exactly. Um, so yeah, that I mean, it it doesn't have to be that. It doesn't it's like you can't say, oh, well, this was recorded on a four track, so I'm not going to play it. You know, I'll still play things if yeah. I think that they're great, regardless of how it's been recorded. Okay, and so how much time do you actually spend listening to? All of the New time. New music. All of, All the, of the time. time. <laughs> but uh, do you like literally just sit down and sort of like for the next hour, I'm going to listen to however many bands? Well, I kind of do that anyway, because I think yeah. that's probably how I ended up with a job. I'm sure you're the same, right? You probably just sit and, and kind of drift over 
like blogs and news sites and you'll you'll get like end up on Bandcamp and then you'll go oh well, this is tied to this and then you you kind of you fall mm. down rabbit holes right uh, I, st- I oh yeah yeah exactly <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's that's the same that's all I do and and that's what I've always done and now the cool thing is that I can do those things and go oh actually uh this one in particular really jumps out so I'm going to play that on the show do you know what I mean so that's yeah, like yeah. that's like a kind of uh it's not like I go right I've got to do a radio show on Sunday Jesus Christ what am yeah, I going to yeah. play do you know what I mean it's, <laughs> it, it's it's yeah I'm constantly listening to stuff but I do find that when I'm painting uh I generally listen to records I like listening to records especially so that's generally um either stuff I've got recently or older stuff so that's n- not normally the way I find new music. Although sometimes I'll get sent a record because somebody will be like, oh, I think you're going to really like this, so I've sent you this on vinyl. And that's when I'll then suddenly fall in love with a record that whereas before I might have just given it a cursory listen of like two or three songs mm. online. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yep. But yeah. Um, and are there any bands, you know, in the last few years which you've given a little helping hand to which are particular favourites? um yeah loads i mean i actually did a thing quite recently where i when i was sorting my vinyl and i and i found a load of bbc sessions that that then you know some bands will they'll do a session and then kind of get in contact with the bbc and ask if they can release it on vinyl and those things are pretty special to me so Mm -hmm. those are really important but i mean I mean, there's tons of bands, but there's also a bunch of stuff that I play on the show that that needs to be played and deserves to get played and get the exposure. But I'm probably not going to sit and listen to it at home in the same way that I would some of the other stuff. Do you know what I mean? Um, But yeah, yeah, absolutely. um, Yeah, I mean, for example, right. So this Sunday, just gone, I had bad nerves in session. I don't know if you know that band. They're they're from Essex. They're from kind of kind of near here. But yeah, I, I gave them a little listen when I saw they were they were in session with you. I love I that band, it. Matt. Yeah, it's great. It's so sick, and the songs are amazing. Um, so things like that, I get super stoked on that. I can, I'll keep playing, and, and but at the same time, then I get this weird thing where I'm like, "How is this band not enormous?" And and that's yeah. when I feel that's when I get like a little weird on my high horse and feel like I need to, like really fight the good fight i mean that's what it is all of the time but then there's certain things where i just like really feel like i'm on a personal mission and i was like i i mean i couldn't i don't know what other bands that would be but um i mean there's been a bunch since i've been doing the show but yeah sometimes i feel like i really need to go the distance and that's when i'll do things like other people that i know that work in other fields of the industry that i'll be like yo, if you listen to this, this is incredible and and try and, you know, help as much as I can just outside of just the show as well with, like, other platforms and stuff. Yeah, perfect. Uh, let's play a song. Um, I don't know, one of, the, one of the new bands that you're particularly enjoying at the moment? Uh, who could we have? Yeah, that I mean that's easy. Let's do that. Um 
uh, what's the new the new single's called Don't Stop, isn't it? I think it is. Let's do that. If you don't know this band, they're from Essex. They're a five-piece, and they sound like if you mix the Ramones with something else. <laughs> <laughs> this is Bad Nerves. Okay, so um, I feel like we, we've taken, well, we have taken a lot of your time up, which we are hugely grateful for. Nothing blew um, up. Nothing's blown up. Nothing's caught on fire. You know, we've still got maybe, you know, a few minutes left, so let's just touch wood and make sure that that yeah, doesn't yeah, happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for, well, for a second time agreeing to chat to us. Well, thank you for being um, so agreeable and actually going, oh, you've ruined ruined a perfectly good podcast last time. Uh, so I appreciate you. It's, I appreciate it's our pleasure. how gracious you've been with it. Thanks. <laughs> it's our pleasure. Um, have you got anything exciting happening this year that's worth shouting about? Yeah, I'm trying to finish a record with some friends. Uh, can I say who's in it? Um, well, it's common knowledge, I think. Well, it's not common knowledge, but people know already that... Um, so I'm doing a this black metal project with Craig from Strafe in the Path and okay. a singer from another band. And Come on. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, if I say it, it'll probably jinx it and then it won't happen. However, I'm prepared to say... That, um, so it's me, Craig, and Greg Pucciato from Dillinger Escape Plan. Amazing. Um, but whether or not it'll happen, I don't know, because like, um, Greg's just finished his solo record, and he's also in um, uh, Jerry Cantrell's band now. So he's super busy, but I said, like, we'd had this conversation where I'm like, I'm going to do a record that's going to sound like this. And he was like, like what? And I went, Black metal meets the Deftones. He was like, "Oh, that would be cool," and there and I was like, "I'd actually called him about it because I wanted him to put me in contact with one of his friends who's an artist because I wanted this other guy to do the artwork and not me." Um, and then I sent him a song two days later, and I was like, "Oh, I did the first song for that thing," and he was like, "This is awesome." I was like, "Thanks," and I was like, "I need to find a singer now. Who do you think would be good for it?" Like I've so far I've spoken to you and I spoke to Sarah from Youth Code as well. And I was like, who's going to be good for this? Like who can do this and this? And, um, and she said, Greg, but I was like, well, he's far too busy. And then when I asked him, he was a bit like, well, why aren't you asking me to do it? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, cause you're busy. You're doing your own thing. And he was like, well, I think I'd like to do it. And I was like, cool. Well, if you, if you're going to do it, then let's do it. And he was like, <laughs> and he was like, yeah, I'm going to do it. And I was like, fuck yeah. So cool. So we, um, so yeah, so there's that, but there's a couple of guests on there as well, which I was like, these are never going to happen. And then I sent one of the songs to one of them and they sent it back like 15 minutes with a vocal on and went, what do you reckon of this? And I was like, Ugh, gosh, let's do this. So <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. It'll be, Amazing. Uh, I mean, it's pretty niche. I won't lie, but I'm excited about it. So we'll see what happens. And have you got a time scale on that? Or is it just sometime this year? I mean, I want to get the record finished within a month, if possible. Nice. So, yeah, if we can finish it by end of Feb, that would be great. End of Feb. Mm, 
maybe March. And then and then we'll see what happens then. But who knows, man? Like, I do these things where I get super obsessed with things and I'll write an entire album and then it'll just sit on a hard drive forever and never see the light of day. So it could be one of those, but I hope not on this one because I think it could be quite exciting. Yeah, sounds good. Look forward to that. Um, amazing. So once again, thank you so much. Um, make sure Radio One gives us a call next time they need someone to fill in for you. <laughs> you know what? That's not a bad shout. We're 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 in. We're available. <laughs> <laughs> and just like that. <laughs> All right, I'll bear that in mind. Because I'm bear always thinking. Mind. I'm always thinking about like people that can cover cover me and stuff when I'm going to be Mate. away. Not that I go away very often, to be honest, and especially at the moment, but, you know, who knows? You're well, on the list. We're here. We're, we're ready. <laughs> um, it, it would be really cool for us um, if maybe we could get you to uh, do, your, do your thing and intro the final song of the podcast. Um, any song you want, pick whatever you want. Uh, I'm going to pick the song that we finished with last time, I think. Um, this band, as I said earlier, were super important during a really emotional upheaval in my life. The album is called Sultans of Sentiment. It was the second album by a band called The Van Pelt. It is my oof, number one emo record. <laughs> yeah, I would Officially. say, yeah, it's a fit. Yeah, I would say that is, um, it's a truly beautiful record. If you don't know it, you need to listen to it. Um, it's stunning. Um, this is Nans and Kills a Cat by the Van Pelt. So, Mr. Buck, that was a good time, right? That was fun. That was that was like properly just hanging out, having a chat. Yeah, well, I mean, he's a legend. We know he's a legend. And it he was a legend. Yeah, <laughs> you've summed it up <laughs> very well. Um, yeah, just absolute lovely guy. Um, we had so much to talk about. I've still got like two more pages of questions which we didn't get onto. Yeah, um, which we which we cut out. Yeah, but uh, but hey, never mind. Um, but it was so interesting, like the uh, stories about being in in A and in in all the other bands, um, and the Radio One rock show chat, and then just we we kind of went a bit just off piece didn't we just started. so much freestyling i love the way he just Chatting. took over and decided to talk to us about emo bands <laughs> yeah 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 it was um my, i was frantically um looking through our kind of schedule of notes of questions um thinking well this is uh gone out the window isn't it <laughs> but in yeah, a but good in way all, in all the best way um, and I was glad I could gush about what a fan I am of him. Hopefully it wasn't too creepy. <laughs> it was fine. Thank you for listening, lovely people. Hope you enjoyed that. The follow button is right there. Click on that for more of the wicked content like this. Go back, listen to our other uh, interviews with amazing people from amazing emo rock scenes. Um, follow us at emo dad podcast on instagram.geosites.com and we'll be back next week probably um even though we don't know what week it is 
What are we going to end with? <laughs> oh, what are we going to end with? We're going to oh end with something. God, I don't, I don't know. Why don't we end with Ender by A? Beautiful. Enjoy. Goodbye, people. Enjoy. <laughs>